scandalous, but she's also fabulous. Scandalous. 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 If you don't know, now you fucking know. Scandalous. Notorious. She's so scandalous. Now. This show doesn't happen without the crew, and I've always felt like touring people are my people. So I'm glad to be talking to Chad Ward, Road Warrior, currently on tour with the Zach Brown Band, but longtime rock and metal touring veteran himself, touring with bands like Slipknot, Corn, Limp Bizkit, Kelly Clarkson, So Metal, uh, Arcade Fire, Drake, Justin Bieber, 311, and sensitively uh, Foo Fighters for a very long time, where he teched for Taylor Hawkins for many years. So it's a sensitive time. There's a lot to talk about, lots to unpack, so let's get to it. But first things first, like it always is for you, how about that coffee? I love coffee. <laughs> and the funny thing is I didn't start drinking coffee till late, late in the game. So I have, oh, a, lot of, I have a lot of catching up to do. Oh, no. Uh, so what do you mean late, late in the game? Like how long have you been drinking coffee? I've only been drinking coffee now for three, three years, three years. Got so it. like, you know, and as you can tell by my gray beard, uh, when I say <laughs> it's late, really doing a lot for you. <laughs> when I say late in the game, I mean late in the game. <laughs> that's funny well i'm kind of the same like i just started drinking coffee because i felt like i was supposed to like i was like everyone else says this is great so i just like kind of started now i have like a free amazing incredible coffee machine downstairs in my building and it's incredible so it's like well i'm losing money if i don't drink my vanilla latte every day it's like i'm throwing money out the window that's that's not how you get rich. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, it, it makes my day on the roads uh, better in the morning. You know, like getting that boost that I no longer had. I always was a like a super energetic morning person. Then one day I noticed it was going, that was going away. And I was like, crap, what's happening to me? And so I started drinking coffee. And now with like being on tour with Zach Brown Band, we, we travel with our own catering and they have a phenomenal coffee setup so it's it's feeding the addiction well what kind of um coffee setup are we talking here like the syrups the lattes tell me all the things because i love catering like catering's a big deal like what's the catering setup for coffee and everything else well they have a road case just for the coffee so this thing opens up and it's a big road case i mean so you got your like your your nepresso maker in there um, they have like four carafes of c- different coffees in there already made for us. They have like the cinnamon, the nutmeg, the cocoa powders, like five, six different syrups. If you like that kind of coffee, they have the oat milk, the almond milk, the regular milk, the creams. Um, they have the, even a little, this little machine that, you know, you pour your milk or creamer or whatever it in and it spins and frosts it for you. So you have that nice foamy froth coffee like it's pretty good i can see why you made the switch to country after a while you're like i've got to i've got to switch over i've got like these guys and their coffee setup have you seen it over here and no one would blame me <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i don't know like i find country's been a, a good switch over you know after being in mainly rock and metal for shit 27 28 years you know a long time in that genre 
with some mixed in acts like uh, you said Kelly Clarkson and Justin Bieber and Arcade Fire and Drake, Redman Method Man and some other hip hop acts. That's awesome. Nicki Minaj. Oh wow. Oh, I think I remember you telling me stories. She's a uh, she's quite a human being. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave it at that. There you go. Yeah. Uh, for those uh, just listening on the podcast, we're making like very over exaggerated faces. We're remembering the stories he told me. Uh, mm-hmm. We're doing like big eye wink wink. So yeah, he said she's quite a person. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So first, oh. uh, first, your music industry name is Yeti. Mine is Scandalous. Why is yours Yeti? Uh, well, it wasn't really an industry thing. It was before the industry. Okay. You know, I was already being called Yeti. So I, um, I really don't ever go by Chad, you know, unless I'm, you know, unless it's family or... I don't know. Even like really old close friends call me Eddie. So the, the, the C word is, doesn't get used a lot. Was it weird hearing me call you by Chad? <laughs> no, because I mean, it is my name still, but I mean, like I, I, I've toured with people for years. I mean, toured with them for years. And they've said to me, man, who the hell is Chad Ward on the rooming list? <laughs> And I just laugh because I'm like, I don't know. Then they never put two and two together. Like, where are you on the rooming list? Like, (laughs) (laughs) that happened to me last like weekend at Come and Take It Live, the venue I go to. I was on the list and they're like, what's your real name? And I was like, I'm not telling you, but it's that one over there. It's probably that one over there. Wink, wink. Yeah, just stick with Scandalous. Yeah, there you go. So, what is, where'd Yeti come from? Um, it originally came from my mother, but then it really got picked up and used a lot by 311. Because, you know, I've known Tim, the guitar player, since we were in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I've known Chad, Nick, and Chad and Nick um, of 311 since 8th or ninth grade. So is that how you got into the touring world? Is that how you joined the circus, pretty much? It is. It is. Because I was going to go to culinary school in Chicago, and I was working as a chef at a restaurant in town that was a brewery as well, and we were putting on a music festival, and the owners were like, well, you play in bands and stuff. They're like, can, can you stage manage this thing? And they're like, 311's going to headline. And I'm like, well, yeah, those are my friends. And long story short, on their way here to Omaha to do this festival, their gear burned down completely the rv that they were in blew up while they were driving how does that uh, happen uh, a lot of rvs do it apparently like i don't know if it's something to do with the generator that are in some of them but i mean it literally burst into flames while they were driving at 75 miles an hour so wow by the time al-qaeda is getting creative over here that's terrible that's yeah, horrible so that, terrorism <laughs> so by the time they they got uh, you know pulled over and all jumping out nick lost most of his hair so that this was the transition of nick hexham lead singer 311 going from long hair to that shaved bald look that he sported for so long because he lost his hair in the fire mainly <laughs> so i <laughs> so i got a call from tim like hey we have no gear so i found some guitar rigs um 
Chad's mom was the manager of a drum store here in town, so he was fine. And uh, the show went off really well, and Nick called me and was like, hey, what do you got going on this summer? And I was like, well, nothing for the summer, not until the fall when I'm going to leave. And he's like, well, why don't you come on tour with us? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'd love to get out of town. And then, uh, yeah, here we are. You never left. 30 years later. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so um, I'm so glad you're not a chef. I'm, I'm scarred by professional chefs. I was almost <laughs> engaged to one one time. It was, <laughs> we would, like, I'm kind of a pickier eater. So, like, professional chefs just, like, scare me. And I get nervous around them. And I don't feel safe. And I feel attacked. And everything else. So I'm really, I'm glad you're touring. That's so much better. It's so much happier for me. I like that. So uh, me too, because I'm, I'm probably wouldn't have seen as much of the world as I've seen being a cook. So yeah, the road life is hard, you know, like that I, I didn't really think about, you know, and then I had a son at a really young age and it definitely affected our relationship for a large part of his life. I mean, he eventually did move in with me. Um, but, um, you know, no one, I have two sons right now, six and eight, and I'm so thankful not to be working in country because, you know, they do the weekend warrior style touring where I leave on a Thursday and I'm either back Sunday or I'm back on Monday morning. So I'm home every week, no matter what. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I'll talk to you sometimes and I'm like, Oh, I know you're out on the road. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm at home. I'm making coffee. I'm like picking up the kids, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So definitely very cushy country. So what were the first uh, few tours for you? What was that like being a complete new person to it? To it? Uh, people always want to know what it's like. So we're definitely going to talk about like the highs, but what was it like kind of starting off with 311 and just kind of adjusting to that? It was very exciting because every day is an adventure because it's not so mapped out like professional touring when you first start out. You know, you know, it's not such a machine. Um, you kind of everybody's kind of on their own. Like nobody's making a lot of money. Um, we are traveling in an RV, and at you know, 21 years old, uh, obviously everybody wants to party, and everybody was partying. But the only problem was is I had to get us to the next city. <laughs> <laughs> So, kids, don't drink and drive. <laughs> even though, even so were though, were you tour managing? I was kind of everything. I mean, it was just the band and me and a sound guy. So I was driving every day. I would set up the gear. We'd do the show. I'd sell T-shirts off the front of the stage, pack our gear, and then drive us to the next city. I, I mean, I was literally probably living on about three hours sleep a day. Wow. But for all the right reasons, like sometimes I do that and I'm just home working. Yeah. And I mean, it's not the, not the fun kind. I'm sure it gets old, but wow. What an adventure. I mean, there's the ventures are great. Even in times when we were like, Oh, like we we were staying with friends in Seattle and we left all of our luggage at their, at their apartments. We were just going to go to Vancouver, do a show and come back. Well, (sighs) We broke down on our way in, the van, in Canada, in our way to Vancouver, and we ended up being stuck there for over a week while our RV had to have the axle completely rebuilt. And I was wearing wool pants. I'm going to tell you what, wearing wool pants for a week straight is awful and itchy. <laughs> Horrible wow. idea. But 
we had a lot of fun, even though that we were, uh, you know, stranded. Um, first night was insanely crazy because we had to find a place to live or place to sleep that night. And me and uh, Essay, or Doug Martinez from Zero Eleven, we this girl offered us to stay at her apartment, and so we go there, and she basically kicks the roommate off of his bed in the living room and tells him to go sleep on the couch <laughs> and gave us his bed. And I'm sure he was not stoked with that. And then her boyfriend proceeded to come home in the middle of the night and saw two strange men sleeping in the living room and absolutely lost it. And we could hear them fighting in the other room and their fighting progressed from screaming at each other to having sex at very loud levels. <laughs> So me and me and Doug were like, what have we got ourselves into right now? <laughs> wow. And you're not getting any sleep. And it's like at this point, it would have just been better sleep to just sleep in the van. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about like doing everything on your first tour. Um, and I was asking you, are you just a drum tech? Do you do more? And you told me you do a lot of things. So tell me all the different things that you do and what goes into that. Cause a lot of people don't know. Well, I mean, for the main part, you know, I have been a drum tech for a large portion of my career. I'm also a bass tech, but I've done a lot of stage managing and a lot of uh, carpentry, but I've also been a production manager and a tour manager and a production coordinator. <laughs> um, like if you're a production manager, you know, obviously, you know, as you know, you're in charge of the entire tour. You're in charge of, you know, booking all the logistics you know, and advancing all the shows and dealing with all your vendors and, you know, basically just making sure that everything runs smoothly on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you're in charge of the whole crew. Um, Stage managing is a job I find that I don't ever want to do again. It's a very thankless job. Um, Stage managers work their butts off for the most part. They're the first ones out of bed and they're last ones out of the shower and into the buses and when you have you know anywhere between uh, no matter I guess it could be anywhere from you know if you're a stage manager you have anybody from anywhere from 25 to 115 people on your tour you know like you're never going to please any everybody everybody's always going to think there's a better way to do something so I find it a very thankless job when you're pumping your butt trying to help every department but there's always people in every department that are going to bitch. So I've, I've, I've passed on a lot of stage managing offers over the last several years because I just have zero interest in my job. Good to know. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work for sure, and it's very interesting to see and know what those people are doing up there. You know, while you're waiting for the band to go on, you see people walking around to like know what they do and know what they're in charge of so it's cool you know people always ask i want to go on the road i want to be get into what advice would you give and i'm like well if you want a consistent gig on the road and always be working then you definitely want to work for a vendor so you either want to be a sound person or you want to be on the lighting team or maybe the lx team which is the video you know um if you work for a company they can keep you on the road year-round if that's what you want to be but like me, I've always been freelance. And if you're a freelance person, like a backline tech doing drums, guitars, bass, whatnot, you know, you got to go out and find the work yourself. So it's it's a lot more difficult. And it's all, all right. about 
you know, your character and how hard you work to being a good person, I would you assume. Know, you you got to work hard. You know, try not to complain, even when you are angry, you know, and be just be good to everybody, you know. I've always tried to maintain a positive attitude on the road and just try to treat everybody with respect and be kind to everybody. Just be a happy soul. Yeah, be like Yeti, happy soul. And what goes into carpentry? So, like, what are the different things you do with that? Very curious about that. Uh, like carpentry is like stage set, you know, like the actual stage if, the, if a band is traveling with their own stage or like any of the props that you'd see on a stage or like, or the curtains, you know, that you the backdrops, you know, like a carpenter's in charge of all of that, you know, setting up the backdrop or the kabuki in the front that, you know, falls or goes up at the beginning of the show or, or like if a band has like a thrust that goes out, you know, for them to go out into the crowd, you have to build that every day. And carpentry is fun because, I mean, you're, you're up early, but you're giving your hands, your stage hands to help you and you just kind of do your own deal, you know, you don't have to really deal with anybody. And once the stage is set up and you got everything up, you're, you're done for the day until the show's over. You know, there's none of that. There's none of that walking on eggshells, as I call it, you know, praying that nothing goes wrong during the show as, you know, you're not a backline tech, you know, hoping your guitar rig doesn't go down. Or, you know, or yeah. It's nice not to have to, uh, you're not um, connected to the artist at all. You can just be like, oh, my shit's up. Peace out. I'll see you at loadout. Yeah, like you did your job. Yeah, it is kind of, and I don't know if it's just because I pay attention to that, but it is always cringy when there's a problem and you just see people ducking and running, going shit, 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 things are going to go wrong. You're setting something up and tearing it down every single day, you know, or every other day. Or... Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always room for error at some point. Yeah. And I've seen well, a lot of kabukis okay. malfunction. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've never seen that happen before. Like, what happened? You haven't? You've no, never seen I've the never... curtain? In... Wow. No. I've literally seen it on every tour I've ever been on. Really? That's I've had, never seen had... that before. That's had a kabuki. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was called a kabuki, by the way. So now that I have a new vocabulary word, I'm going to like use it in every sentence now. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, I didn't know that's what it was called. The kabuki? Yeah. Cool word. Yeah, because I, like I mean, well, yeah, kabuki is just the curtain, you know. But I mean, like a kabuki drops. It's like when the solenoids up top will let it go and the curtain just falls. And they have all the hands down there to catch it and swift it away real quick. But I've seen it so many times where like, it opens up and only half of it falls and the other half still connected up top. <laughs> so you just got this curtain dangling. I mean, especially... Does one have to like climb up there? No, you just basically have to yank it really hard. So you have about three or four people just yank the curtain and it will... Because you just got it up there tied with like fishing string or like a... Okay. On a, on a washer or something, but... Okay. Um, it's pretty funny when you're at a Slipknot show though and here comes the almighty slipknot and the curtains partially dangling still as they're playing <laughs> I Total. bet that would be like one thing you would kind of be annoyed about as mm-hmm. an artist like yeah. we are almighty and, yeah, like, you're, uh, and then you're, you're dangling uh, over here <laughs> yeah, you got your curtain dangling in front of you you gotta kind of peek around it 
Hey, everybody. Uh, hey, hi. To the worst trend. Well, <laughs> sorry. should we do some more like space? What's the worst transition ever? Because <laughs> like now I want to um, talk about your hawk tattoo and kind of transition into that. So what is this like the worst transition in the history? Like <laughs> um, of everything. So let's do, uh, let's talk a little bit about your tattoos first and then we'll get into the hawk. Because I see lot, lots of stuff going on there. You know, it's funny. I looked at Taylor's arm so many times over the years at that tattoo on his arm. And there's times that I was like, what a stupid tattoo. <laughs> but I'm full of stupid tattoos. So I just thought he was part of the club. But but it was a good, it wasn't like it was done shitty. I don't know. Like, um, But when he passed, I, I immediately wanted it. And um being heavily tattooed, I just didn't want to put it anywhere, you know. And I, I've never planned on tattooing my face over in my life. I always said like that would be the whole, no freaking way. And um, me and Taylor often, well, like every show, most, um, we'd wink at each other at certain times during the show um, for certain things, certain meanings, you know. Um, I'll never disclose what those are, but um, it really, when I thought about it, I immediately knew that's where it needed to go because I'm a lefty. So everything I do is left, you know, left hand, left footed. I wink with my left eye. So I just felt like that was the, the place to put it, you know, and so that's what I did to honor him. And I mean, he'll always be in my heart, obviously, but. I don't know. I needed it. I need it. I needed it. I look at it every day and it puts a smile on my face. So, or it makes me cry. One of the two. Well, obviously I'm an empath and seeing the Hawk tattoo below your eye, just watching you grieve and deal with the loss of Taylor Hawkins just on social media alone is all encompassing and an immeasurable loss. First things first, what do you want people to know about Taylor and his life and his heart? Um, I want people to know pretty much what they've, what the, what the good things they've read about him. Um, he was such an amazing person. Um, just could fill a room, you know, with positive energy and like his laugh. It's such a great laugh and smile. I mean, obviously everybody's seen him. He's all teeth. <laughs> um, love to joke around. And he's just, very humble, you know, like that's what, that's one thing I always loved about him. You know, he wasn't a rock, like, never carried that attitude, like, oh, I'm a freaking, I'm in the, the biggest rock band in the world, you know, he was the farthest thing from that. And that's what made him so special that he stayed grounded, you know, and he was, he truly was um, a fanboy of music, a super fan. You know? Like, if he saw his idols that he liked, well, he bombarded them with questions just like any music fan would. But, you know, he would get away with it because, you know, because he had the, the rock star card too, you know. Like, but I'm sure some of his uh, his uh, idols were probably like, oh, my God, this kid just doesn't stop asking questions. But, but that's what made him great, that he was, you know, so grounded and just never lost his love for music. Love that. So... Actually, that's just what I was about to say. So he kept his love for music his entire life then. 
because so many people really lose it. And you can kind of tell after they've been doing it for a while that it's very regimented. It's very much machine and their heart's not really in it anymore. So his heart was always really in it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like he, like, whether it would have been the Foo Fighters or anything else, like there, there's, he would have never stopped playing music. I feel like that guy would have been like, you know, if he lived to be 90, you know, in his 80s, he'd still been given it his all in some way, shape, or form in music. You know, it's just him. That's yeah. who he was. I saw this really cute video and I shared it on my social media last night of him not being afraid of heights and doing some jump and some country off of a building. What were some cool times that you guys went out and spent time together or something like that? Uh, well, he always was trying to get me to write on things like that. And I was like, no. What do you mean? You're not going to jump? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, he was definitely not afraid of heights. Like, every time we were in New Zealand, they have this, like, bungee thing that shoots you from the ground up into the sky. Like, I can't count how many times he tried to get me to ride that thing. And I was like, hell no. And then the sky jump that he had, the sky tower that he did. I went up to the top with him for a second, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go down to the ground, and I'll meet you when you land, because I have no desire for any of this. But he loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, especially there's so many people. It's kind of scary to jump off things now. My girlfriend recently, um, she's had like 45 jumps under her belt, and her <clears> parachute <throat> did not open properly, and she like fell down to the ground and broke her leg. So it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, I used absolutely. to be more open to doing stuff like that. And now, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and I'm scared to do things and jump and bungee and ah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, well, not, a few weeks ago, that teenage kid fell off that, mm-hmm. that ride. Like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Especially when you got like, you know, no offense to teenagers, but when you got some kid making, you know, minimum wage to control this ride, I'm like, no, no thanks. <laughs> I know. I just had my 22 year old sister spend the weekend with me like last weekend. And I mean, even her as a 22 year old. Oh my God, no thanks. That, that was a lot to say. <laughs> you know, as a 22 year old, there's a lot there. I was like, okay, young kid. All right. All right. Um, yeah. So Taylor's drumming was an inspiration for so many people from someone who was so close to his playing for a very long time. Can you kind of speak for him? about what he really cared about like when it comes to equipment um his playing style pearls of wisdom anything that you might be able to pass on that really no one else could well like for him like he he like like i said like he's so into certain um people that were his idols and it really shows in his drumming like he was a huge i mean he's probably the biggest roger taylor of queen fan ever uh, Stuart Copeland of Police, and then Neil Peart of Rush. I mean, these are three drummers that Taylor just loved. And uh, you hear a lot of their styles in his playing. He, like, mixed all three of their styles to create, like, his style of playing. You know, um, equipment-wise, Taylor wasn't picky. Like, he wasn't that kind of guy. Like, I mean, he, you know, the last however many years, 11 years he's played Gretsch drums but um he wasn't ever picky though like he didn't like he never even cared if the drums were all the same color like 
he's like, they're just drums. They're meant to be beat on. You know, he's like, they don't have to be matching. They don't have to, like, he's like, it's okay. And like, he didn't care if his cymbals were cleaned. You know, like if I spent all day, like, you know, if I cleaned his cymbals really good, he usually came in, spit on his hand and rubbed his hands all over his cymbals and looked at me. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and then he would say, hey, Dave, yeah, he cleaned the cymbals. And then Dave would come over and spit on them and rub his hands all over them too. I'm like, cool, <laughs> you guys are awesome. But, um, you know, he wanted to set up how he likes to play, but I mean, he wasn't just a picky person. Though. You know, he was really easy going and, and, um, We'll just get up and do this thing, you know? There's an outlying feeling when you talk about something like this, like the enormity of how big Foo Fighters is and Taylor's legacy. There aren't really words to explain the weight of it. Have you thought about how it's like affected the world and has it changed like your heart at all? Like I recently lost someone and I just feel, I haven't really lost many people in my life and I kind of feel like, Anytime you lose someone, it's like a little bit of your innocence gets taken away from you a little bit, like a little bit of your heart just dies off a little bit. And it's kind of that way millions of people all over the world. So it's just. Um, you know, I've, had, I've had four, four friends die. I hate saying the word die. I had four friends pass away within the last 12 months of my life. Um, the difference with Taylor is um, because of how big the Foo Fighters were, and who he was in the music business and, and his, he's just everywhere, you know what I mean? So it, it's constantly in your face when you're trying to process the grief. And, and um, it's kind of weird because, you know, I, I post some things to my Instagram, shared some videos that were, you know, my private videos. Um, and looking back, I would have did it differently. Like I would have probably kept my comments off on all the posts. Because with my Instagram kind of being open, like I was getting a lot of people commenting these long comments, and I, I, I you know, I appreciate the fact that what they're, you know, they're trying to send their condolences, but also I'm like, you know, like I don't necessarily want it, you know, like I'm trying to figure this out on my own, and people are like, oh, we're grieving so hard. Well, you didn't even know him. You only knew him because he was the drummer of the Foo Fighters. You didn't know him as the person you went to the Sky Tower with, the person you know, that you slept at his house, the person that you, you know, shared hotel rooms on the coattail riders. And just, I don't know. Like his his passing has been really hard. Um, just because I feel like when I'm trying to avoid it, I can't avoid it because I'll be doing having a good day avoiding it, and then all of a sudden I see. Who fires this? Who fires that? Who fires, you know? And part of me thought about um, dropping out of social media altogether for a while. Um, but I, I came to the decision that I don't think that would necessarily mend either what's going on inside my heart and in my head, if any of that makes sense. Yeah, that's, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, it's just devastating, really heartbreaking. And, um, especially like you truly knew him so much more than other people did. So it's very heavy. And it's just like how, what's the right way to grieve? I'm still trying to, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. So like, you know, and fuck for the, for the food fighter camp, you know, I, I, I wasn't with them in 21, you know, um, unfortunately me and Taylor were 
I should say, fortunately, me and Taylor were still close and still friends, you know, but I was no longer working for the Foo Fighters as I chose to walk away. Um, but, you know, sadly enough, Andy um, Pollard, the Foo Fighters stage, longtime stage manager last year, passed away unexpectedly in his hotel room as well. Um, so that camp's been hit really hard in the last year, you know. First Andy and now Taylor. So pretty devastating. Yeah. Yep. That's <sighs> yeah. I was um I was gonna ask like if you've talked to any of the guys or talked to them, but I don't want to be intrusive. Like, you know, it's also like it's also really interesting of like the correct way to respect people's privacy and you yeah. know how do you go about that it's just such a thing like I remember the last time I really grieved something I ignored it for a really long time I ignored it for like a year realized it wasn't okay and then had to start all over again so it's like how do we grieve the right way to do it the wrong way to do it I'm okay I'm not okay like how do you respect people's privacy how do you honor people in the right way yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, like, I'm still trying to figure out, too. Um, I had Rolling Stone magazine hit me up about Taylor, and they, they asked some questions that I, I was definitely not down with. Like, I felt just, like, the, the reporter was super friendly and, and nice, and I don't think he was trying to be disrespectful in any way. He's just doing his job. But the, for them to that early to be asking the questions they were asking it was awful. And I just told him, I was like, uh, I don't want to be a part of this, uh, this, this story if it's just looking to be a dirt piece. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, he was uh, too big of a shining star, and there was already so much BS being floating around, you know, from the Columbia media and whatnot that is just BS, so... Um, I think you did a really wonderful face tattoo that would just make him smile so much. And I didn't even know that that was, I mean, oh, sorry. It's a little, um, it's a little sensitive. I'm so, I feel just really sad for you having that loss. Like I didn't know Taylor and I never met him or anything. Um, It's kind of like a loss, like I'm a nineties baby. So it's kind of like a loss of our generation. That's kind of, when someone dies like that, it's kind of like losing your innocence a little bit, you know, as one who's sure. and really love that music. But I just feel like really bad for you kind of having that loss. But just um see, I'm sad. That's okay. <laughs> Women are silly. Like, you never know. You never know. But I'm definitely like an empath for sure. And I've done a really good job of turning that off in a good way for my life. But. Um, just kind of listening to you talk, that's really hard, like, knowing or listening to, like, someone go through that. That's just heartbreaking. And I didn't know that story uh, of, I just thought, <laughs> which is, it's kind of like a teardrop tattoo. I was like, okay, you got a teardrop, but there's, like, actually, like, more meaning to that. And that's mm-hmm. like an inside joke for you guys. And I mm-hmm. think that's really beautiful. And I think that's so cool. And I like that so much. Thank you. Happy. Happy note and just celebrating. Uh, do you have a favorite Foo Fighters lyric or song that you just thought was so fucking great that you love so much? Um, it's crazy, you know, like people might be like, what? Uh, 
and it's not even an old Foo Fighters song, but they have a song called Dirty Water that was off the Concrete and Gold album. And I don't know, there's just something about that song that the first time I heard it, I was like, wow. And I just, they would play it live a lot on that last tour in 2018. And I just loved it. Like, I don't know. I just, there's something about that song. Like I can't pinpoint it really. It, it just, it spoke to me for some reason. And then, um, you know, like a song, a, a lyric that is my favorite lyric. And unfortunately it kind of goes with what's going on right now. Um, it's from these days. One day says one of these days, your heart will stop and play its final beat. Um, because that has always had a lot of meaning to me because when I was, you know, young and stupid and 20 years old, I had went into cardiac arrest from drug usage and um, then proceeded to have anxiety attacks for like the next three years thinking I was going to die and my heart was going to stop any day. And so I've always, I've always had this weird, weird thing about heart attacks and whatnot. Um, I would say what you call it a... Um, Totally brain farting, sorry. Uh, I was total uh, hypochondriac is what the word I was looking for um, when it it comes to my heart. So when I first heard that lyric, it mildly calmed me down kind of in a way because it's like everybody, you know, you don't know when that day is going to be. But it's true. One day your heart will play its final beat. And um, I don't know, I I love that lyric. So... Wow, that's power music right there. That's such an impactful lyric, and that just kind of calms you down and yeah, made it all that, settle and made it okay. You know, and, and that song in general, you know, I, I really love that song too. I mean, everything he says in that song um, can impact you. You know, is a daily life thing for somebody. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Like that. <laughs> Very cool. I like that a lot. Uh, so from Foo Fighters, just one massive band. It's almost too big to comprehend a Slipknot. Presence of like the United States metal for like all of us. Like favorite band for every metalhead. You know, it's just, of course, do you like Slipknot? Of course I fucking love Slipknot. Everyone loves Slipknot. Um, so how did you start working for those guys? And what did you do for them? Uh, I mean, I, I was always a fan. Like I, I loved them from their first album on. Because yeah, I've always been a metalhead at heart. Um, that's why I like you there you go and and with me being you know an, an Omaha Nebraska boy and then being from Des Moines which is only two hours from here um, I had actually met Clown on numerous occasions over the years and we had a really 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 uh, close friend in common a fantastic woman named Sophia John um, I mean she was you know instrumental in their career at the beginning of helping them um so through her i had met him a few times and then uh a good friend of mine Stuart murray who's a fantastic drum tech was teching for jay weinberg in 2016 i mean in 2014 and 15 and he uh had some back issues and decided uh that he was going to make a career change and that he wanted to go a different route and I knew um, a lot of the crew in that camp. So I got a call and they asked if, you know, if I would want to come do this. And 
I was just finishing um, the Sonic Highways tour with the Foo Fighters, and I was going to have basically a year off from the Foo. So I was like, yeah. So I spent all of 2016 on the road with Slipknot. And then that um, proceeded to me working for them again when um, We Are Not Your Kind came out. And uh, yeah. Okay, so it's really kind of wild that like you didn't totally just get like blind hired by people. You really had connections your entire life. That's yeah. really interesting to me. Yeah. Like, I, even I, in I, really big camps like 311, you know, you grew up with them. That's really interesting to me. Like Foo Fighters, you worked with them. And then Slipknot, it was even kind of like an inside, like, oh, I know this person. I know this person. That's really unique. I kind of feel like right, that's really right. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky to to know some of those band members, you know, going into that gig. Um, so I wasn't nervous going into that camp, you know, because I had met, like, me and Clown had, you know, I'd gone out for burritos with them before. So, like, I was pretty relaxed. I mean, I didn't know Jay, but I had met Jay um, in Europe. They were playing the same festival as the Foo Fighters. And um, I went over and watched uh slipknot play and sat behind jay as he played you know because my buddy was his tech and jay turned around flipped his mask off and we got introduced and we got along well and you know and so i, I kind of and then jay came to a Foo fighter show in nashville in 2015 so i mean he hit me up and i was like yeah well, i'll get you in the show and brought him to the show and he hung out and yeah, it's good. And did he touch your beard as well? I, 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 I'm a very, I'm a very nervous person always when I'm like, when it's something I'm uncomfortable doing. And I'm, <laughs> so I fit, I finicky with my beard constantly. Oh, you're so sweet for doing something that's kind of, kind of you're like press. What's press podcast. Okay. I'll do it. I'll just rub my beard. It's great. So what's it like being in the Slipknot camp. Tell me about that. I mean, it's just big. Uh, I mean, just catering, incredible. But, you know, just headlining everything and just yeah, I mean, bigger than life production. Is it just more trucks, but basically the same? Yeah, I mean, the Slipknot, I mean, I mean, I mean, compared to Foo Fighters, it's not a bigger production, but I mean. Um, oh, I guess that's true. I forget uh, who I'm talking to. I don't normally... Yeah, <laughs> I think we had like 60 trucks on Justin Bieber when I was on that. Wow. But that was all stadiums, you know what I mean? And yeah. that, was a, that was a massive production. 60 trucks uh, for what? A lot of staging and a lot of everything. It's just a lot uh-huh. of everything, you know, when you're that yeah. big. Of, I mean, um, when we're doing stadiums on Foo Fighters, I think we we're at like 22 to 26 trucks. You know, and wow. and like Zach Brown right now, like we 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 average probably twelve to fourteen trucks. You know, but when we go in and do stadiums, obviously we have to bring in more supplemental PA and whatnot. So then you add a few more trucks. <laughs> but uh, Slipknot mm-hmm. fun, you know. Like they're they're a good good group of guys. Um, you know, the funny thing is people always. I don't know. Like people want to go backstage. You know, fans want to go backstage. It's, it's very boring. Like, I think fans would be like, what the fuck? Like, you know, 
most of them hiding out like in their buses or you got Mick sitting and catering on his iPad, just playing a game for God knows how long. And, you know, it's, it's like crickets chirping back there. Yeah, we've all seen the meme where it's just like what people think is happening backstage and like what could be what's actually like backstage is just people on their cell phones and stuff like that. So you know, like I, I just went recently to see the the metal tour of the year and and Randall of of Lamb of God was like you don't, hey, even, so have, you don't even have to say of Lamb of God. Anyone listening to this podcast okay. you right, say Randall, right. they're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he uh <laughs> You know, he, as you know, in the world knows he was just coming back from COVID when they hit Omaha. And he told me, he's like, so we're not, we're not really doing any backstage right now or whatever. And I was like, yeah, uh, I, yeah, that's fine. Like, I, I don't care about coming backstage. Like, to stand in a hallway or go get shuffled to the catering room and sit there twiddling your thumbs. I'm like, you know, like, I don't, I don't ever feel the need when I go to a show to want to be backstage because I know it's generally boring and and you you know as you may know a lot of times crew look at the people come back say like fuck is this person doing back here like (laughs) i I don't ever want to be that person i don't ever want to be in the way you know i know what it's like to be working all day and i just i I tell every band like you don't have to give me a pass i don't i don't need a pass i don't need to go backstage you know unless it's like a really close friend and i just want to chat with them then i'll just be like you know i don't need to go backstage i'll just meet you at your bus yeah there you go Hopping in real quick, guys. I've recently partnered up with rockabilia.com to give you guys a discount code on their merch site. It's code SCANDALOUS for 15% off. They're the biggest merch store online. So if you're looking for something, this is where you want to look. And you can search alphabetically, which makes it super quick to find what you're looking for. Their merch is all officially licensed, manufactured, and based in the USA but they ship internationally, no problem. And I've seen the prices on the site, gorgeous band tees, Metallica, Iron Maiden, Deftones, Fleetwood Mac, Cannibal Corpse, tons more. Incredible, super high quality shirts, most all at price points around 20, 30 bucks with home decor, accessories, even merch for kiddos. A lot more affordable than what we're paying at the merch booth, to be totally honest. Again, code SCANDALOUS for 15% off. That's S-C-A-N-D-A-L-O-U-S at rockabilia.com. So how's it been? This is part two, just wrapping up to make a complete episode from our conversation like seven, eight months ago, something like that. Um, So how was Christmas with your family? Uh, Christmas was good. I mean, boys and little girls, just children in general, always make a... Holidays much better. Your beard is bigger. It's bigger, right? Uh, since we last talked, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it has now probably about three inches longer than the last time we spoke. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different look. Like Santa all year round. Is that you know? Are we doing sexy Santa all year round? Gray fox. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with this manginess. I don't know. Well, your nickname's already Yeti, so. I mean, I don't don't know if I should cut it off or keep it going. I don't know. know. Have you had any new ink since I've seen you? Your hand? Uh, Well, yeah. I got my new Freddie Mercury on my thumb. (laughs) Awesome. Yep. There you uh, go. I just blacked my hand a day Uh ago. A day? Yeah, one day ago. Ow. 
Yeah, it's uh, very swollen, and I look like I have a gorilla hand right now. Yeah, I it's, see that. It's, it's weird. When you see it up close, it looks like gorilla skin when you're at the zoo. It's insane looking. That's funny. Why'd you black it out? Uh, just Are you going to black out my, the whole thing? Well, my whole left arm is blacked out. So. But I'm having white flowers done on everything. So I have to uh, I have to black my entire left arm out one more time. And then I have to shade all the white and then I'm officially finally done. Yeah, it's a requirement. You have to. Like, you know, of all the responsibilities we have in life, you have to black it all out. These are just things you have to do. It has been a a long process, this tattoo. How long were you in the chair yesterday for that blacking Uh, uh, that out? That that I was only in the chair for 45 minutes yesterday, blacking that part of my hand. Oh, okay. But I mean, I started this shit you know back in 2019 when i did the first half arm blackout then i did the next part of my arm but i've blacked my entire arm out completely twice and i've done all the outlining of the white three times now so now i have to shade the white twice and then black out one more time and i'm done okay until you until you get another idea though right yeah there you go. one more idea comes to my head well, I wanted to talk to you about autism awareness. It's something that's on your Instagram profile. Um, mm-hmm. Is one of your children autistic? Both my boys are. Wow, they are. Okay, yeah. so talk about that. Um, it, it was very challenging, you know, because obviously I, I had heard of autism before my children were born, but it's not something like I'd ever like fully looked up, you know, or studied or anything. And, uh, you know, my nine-year-old inside walking, we noticed that whenever he did not have shoes on, he'd walk on his tippy toes. And that was the first kind of like sign that we're like, hmm, because my wife had read that, you know, kids that are autistic tend to walk on their tippy toes. So it was like, huh. And then just little signs here and there. And then, um, long story short, yeah, both boys, both boys are on the spectrum. Gotcha. And it's weird. Some things are alike, but a lot of things are completely different with them as far as certain things on the spectrum for them. And you said, yeah, my nephew is uh, severely autistic as well. So it's definitely different for every child. Are there things that you incorporate at home that you've noticed that really help with both of your kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and um, we've learned, I've, I've learned a lot of different things to uh to deal with when the meltdowns happen with each one of them um how to handle it i should say you know how to get them to reset and calm i should say Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't change it for the world i'll tell you that right now somebody asked me that not that long ago like if you could take your kids autism away would you i was like no no because they're both so amazing in unique ways that i would never want that to be gone but that, that makes sense of any sort yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah it's the reason why you love anyone um it's especially you know different uh different levels of love and if you think about all the different people in your life that you love you love them for the things that make them them so yeah absolutely that definitely makes sense is there anything you wish the public knew more about autism and how to interact with people who have autism I wish more people 
like people that don't have autistic children or any kind of awareness with autism would learn more because like he had, he has a kid in his class that lived down the street from us. And this is sad. Like the parents won't let Bixby come over anymore. And it was right after I, like he, he was over there and I went to pick him up one day and I was talking to the parents and I was like, you know, with Bixby being autistic, they both looked at me and they're like, what? I was like, oh yeah, he has autism. And they haven't invited him back ever since. Why? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that that is so crazy. It's so crappy. And I'm like, because people, that's why I said I wish more people would be aware of and what it is because they immediately just think, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't handle that. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to deal with it when they know nothing about it. I'm like, you know, it's not like something, it's not a disease you're going to catch, you know. That's and so crazy is, and the, so upsetting. And the funny thing is the, the father said, he goes, oh, I would have never guessed that. And I'm like, well, yeah, exactly. You know, we've done a lot of work, but still they both just, so now wow. when I go past their house, I'm like, fuck <laughs> That's really crazy. I don't have kids yet. And it's just like a wild thing to imagine, especially if they're, you know, there's no issue, no reason for it. That's really crazy. It's upsetting. I'm so sorry. And it's weird, you know, because I'm so freaking old that, you know, I highly doubt, man, I don't ever be called tested for anything as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, as mm-hmm. far as special needs goes. And, and who knows? Maybe I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was very socially awkward as a kid. You know, I, did, I was yeah. not into the party scene of even in high school. If I got invited to parties, I usually didn't go. Yeah. Because I just felt uncomfortable around large settings like that. And then I go into the music business, obviously, and that kind of helped change yeah. that a little now, bit. Now you're just around thousands all the time. That's great. It's great. It's great. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's great. Wow. That's really crazy. So is there... This is really interesting to me. So I'm trying to think there must be like another thing. So... What's the most helpful thing someone can do if they're with someone, a child who's autistic, and they want to help them like get through something? Oh, straight up, just love and understanding. That's the best way, really, to support them. You know what I mean? Like not getting angry when you know that it's something that they can't help. You know, like mm-hmm. it'd be real easy to be like quiet. You know, or, but they don't understand why their own brain's doing it. You know, they just think it's normal that they're having meltdowns or temper tantrums or what's said. And um, you just got to let them know that everything's fine. Not a big problem. Let's take some steps back. We'll reset ourselves, take some breaths, and then we'll look at the problem and we'll move forward. Got it. Good dad over here. Good dad. Good dad. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit about that. I really don't know much about it at all. Um, that's a really crazy story about the parents down the street. So like you said, <laughs> um, well, I want to kind of revisit another thing, how we met in the first place was roadie relief and kind of talk, yeah, kind of talk about that. Um, so tell everyone about it, what you were doing, everything you did. Um, you guys were able to do a lot during the pandemic, right? Yeah. I mean, roadie relief started on a zoom call with a bunch of other roadies all complaining that, you know, 
pandemic sucked, but most importantly, that a lot of them could not get financial aid from their states as far as like um, unemployment. uh, (laughs) Thank you. I just totally brain farted. But (laughs) yeah, they couldn't get unemployment because you know when you when you try and go on to unemployment, and I couldn't either at the time. Like they just did not understand. They're just like, nope, because they're like, you could. I remember, I don't know if I said this before in part one, but they told me like, well, there's a job opening at the, the movie theater here in Omaha. I'm like, what? I, was, I said to the guy, what does that got to do with my job? He's like, well, I don't understand your job. I don't understand what you do. And I was like, well, it's definitely not working at a, this concession stand making eight fifty an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. So all these uh road crew guys I was with were angry so I got off the phone and was super angry and the first dumb thing I did was set up a GoFund for a million dollars and of course over a couple days it had gained zero (laughs) dollars and I was like okay wait I am freaking out I need to take a step back at what I'm looking at and reevaluate this whole thing about how I could do it successfully I'm like because nobody's going to donate a million dollars to a guy who's just saying donate a million dollars to a bunch of people. So I took it. I I went on to the GoFund. I wrote a brand new heading for it, explaining what was going on. But all these road crew guys, you know, work basically paycheck to paycheck. A lot of them have families. A lot of them don't have insurance. And that, because the pandemic was so crazy and nobody knew any, you know, like came out of nowhere and shut the world down. Nobody knew when we were all going to go back to work. So I was like, how can I do this? So then I made the the Instagram page for it. And what I did is I just started reaching out to road crew and saying, hey, would you let me profile you on my Instagram? And it's funny because a lot of people said no. (laughs) They, They didn't know what I meant. And I was like, look, I just want you to tell me a little about you in a paragraph. I'm like, it doesn't have to be long in a paragraph. Explain who you are, what you do, how long you've done it. And send me some photos of yourself. That way people can go on to Roadie Relief Instagram and see these people's faces, you know, put a name with a face and, and see who they've worked for and how long they've been doing it and how this has affected them. But I felt like that would be a better way for people to be like, okay, well, I do want to donate to this. And then it just grew, like it went on to be a full-time job for me during the pandemic as putting together auctions, you know, and that entailed with me having to reach out to management companies, artists, seeing who wanted to donate items that were signed, said, whatever, you know, and then getting it all to me, which I regret. (laughs) I I wish I would have just had everybody hold on to that stuff and then been like, here's your winner, send it to them. Uh, absolutely. Instead, I spent weeks at the post office here, knows me by first name now, which is hilarious. Because I would funny. just come in with boxes upon boxes, you know, um, to ship off to the winners of the auctions. Yeah, that's there, how yeah. I remember seeing you for the first time with that Instagram page, and there was so much engagement, and there was such an outpouring of love, like all your friends in the industry, like giving you in you had like insane things for the auctions what were some of those things again oh i had 
great items. Like, you know, I had a Nick Thompson of uh, Slipknot sent me one of his guitars signed. Oh, yeah. Um, no big deal. You know, hey. <laughs> you know, uh, Papa from Ghost, mm-hmm. Tobias Forge, sent me yeah. um, a Hackstrom uh, guitar, which he had signed. And it was the cool thing about it is actually the first time he ever signed um, any item under his most recent uh, name, I should say. Oh, wow. Would be Papa Emeritus the fourth or whatever. So, oh. <laughs> so, so it's his new Kanye name. That was kind of a big deal, you know, because yeah. before that he was the Cardinal Copia. And so this was the first thing he ever signed. Wow. Back as Papa again. So that ghost item had drumsticks from Do Lars. you know him? Do you know him personally? I did know Tobias personally, yes. Okay, cool. How is he? Is he a good guy? Is he, he funny? Is, is he uh, quiet? I, I love him very much. Okay. He's, he's a sweetheart. He's a, a very passionate and kind dude. And um, I've had him over at my house for dinner. Um, I, I just hit it off well with him. I like him. He's quiet spoken, but he's well spoken. He's articulate. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's he's a good person to sit and have a great conversation with. Awesome. Good. Well, good to know. You you hear so many things about ghosts, but it, it is like more the myth, the man, the myth, the legend. Then it's kind of weird because a boy him. a boy from Nebraska and a boy from Sweden become friends. Like. <laughs> So far apart, and you know, obviously, we're different in age, too. I'm yeah, older than he is. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, by like <laughs> by one year, I'm sure. Just just by one year, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's awesome. Well, there were more things though. I still want to talk about like other pull auction items. I remember something from Foo Fighters and something from 311, right? I had 311, Foo Fighters, Corn. Slipknot, Pearl Jam, um, Logic, the rapper. Uh, I got a signed poster from the weekend. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like it was, it was cool. Like a lot of artists came together and put stuff in. Um, Behemoth sent me a whole like cool clothing package and stuff. Um, I love Behemoth. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. you know and like i said corn you know ray from corn personally did a bunch of stuff but also the band as a whole sent a guitar that they had all signed which was really sweet of them awesome. um so steve i know I, I can't go without saying steve <laughs> by i mean that guy ended up being my hero of the whole thing like you know that guy's a legendary guitar player and I had never met him before. And we got introduced via a friend and I had a very good conversation with him. Not only did he donate a guitar, a signed guitar, and he donated um, a private guitar lesson, but he also actually donated $5,000 himself to the GoFund, which was unreal. I was like, what a class act, you know? Like he was the only artist that actually donated money. So I thought that was really insanely cool. That's awesome. Very cool. I love that. So um you guys were just basically able to help out roadies like during the pandemic with that. 
Yeah, I was busy doing that. And, and a lot of people think Roadie Relief was a lot of people. It wasn't. It was me and one other person, and that's it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. The other person was, like, beyond helpful to me. She was the tech person, basically, of everything. She's master wizard of the technical side of things, of um, where I guess I was the face of it all. But I was the one also, the one getting all the merchandise and everything. I was kind of all me. But um, the important thing was to make it real. So I had to, I had to really fight to get my 501c3 quickly, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, I knew nothing about getting a 501c3 for charities, you know, to be a a, a functioning charity. So I had to hire a lawyer. And spend more money. <laughs> Yay! Spend more of my money to help make other people money. But it was all worth yeah. it. Yeah. It was all worth it. Well, it's such a cool idea. Do you think it's something that, like, maybe someone else could, like, help continue if they wanted to, like, hop in and pop in and work on that and continue to give back to the roadie community? It's a really, I know you're back to work, but it was such a cool thing. I get to see it, like, totally go away forever. That's great being back to work. Um, I don't think I ever took for granted, you know, my 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 work. And I, I, I hope a lot of other roadies now don't either if they did, because it's a blessing to have the line of work that we have, you know. Absolutely. Because nowadays it's not as easy to get into the music business. But and then again it is, but I, I don't know, like it's a much more, um, sure, what am I looking for? Like back in the day, there was no resume. Right? Like that didn't exist in the music business. Nobody was ever like, send me your resume. And people would just start laughing at that, you know, and references and all that shit. Like you just got hired by word of mouth and you shook hands. There's no contracts, there's no nothing. So that's good to know. Yeah. That um, that's definitely a different feeling than how it is now, for sure. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a very different vibe. It's like, oh, I like you, or this is my cousin's friend, or this is my brother's best friend, or whatever. I just hired right. my friend from high school, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you know, when I first started, it was with three eleven, and I was just a friend from high school. You know. Yeah. You know, technically, for what they needed at the time, nowadays. I wouldn't have got the gig, probably. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I probably wouldn't have been qualified enough. But. Yeah. My first question, segueing back into music, was that you set me up perfectly for, which I love. I feel like there's more going on in the music industry now than ever before. Do you feel like that's true? Or do you think that's uh, my anxiety kicking in and wanting to make sure I'm yeah. keeping up with the times? No, I think... Uh, I'll probably think the music industry's kicked kicked in like this ever. You know what I mean? Like being completely shut down for over for two years. Like the second that you know the green light came, it's insanity. And it, it's weird because I know a lot of road crew, roadies, whatever. That hey, if you have a job, let me know. I'm looking for work. I'm looking for work. And now it's the opposite. It's like. I know more roadies turning down work than looking for work because I don't think in the history of music has every single artist in the world wanted to tour all at the same time. 
and it's affecting everything. It's putting anxiety with everybody because, you know, vendors don't have enough supplies, you know, they're booked out. And now you're like, crap, where are we going to get a PA? Where are we going to get these lights? What bus company am I going to use? Because all the buses are rented out. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Right now. Yeah. There's bands canceling tours like Miss May. I just canceled cold had to cancel their tour a while back. They're coming back around in March, I think, but yeah, it's just yeah, very like every- crazy. And a lot online, like everything's self-created. Everything like boomed in self-creation. You know, you create something and I'm continuing to build something and there's like no barrier to entry to creating something on your own. Yeah, and I mean, 2023 is going to be the, I think, probably the craziest year for live music touring, you know, because 2022, a lot of people were still like, ah, mm-hmm. maybe not yet. It's still kind of covid yeah. But now 23 is coming, and I think everybody's just done. Even, even though COVID's still out there, it's become like a cold now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't believe there's such a fear factor of it anymore. So it's becoming uh, more common. So I think this year is just going to be. I've heard, I've heard so many tourists going out. It's insane. Meanwhile, it's a very easy year for me. <laughs> yeah, very easy for you. I have some friends, like their singer got COVID. And their management was like, just wear a mask around the bus and just keep going on the tour because we really can't pull out the tour. So he was just like performing with COVID. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm sure there's mm-hmm. tours where an artist has gotten COVID at this point and they didn't shut it down. Yeah. You know? But it's been public about a lot of people who have. So, you know, there, I mean, there's both. I mean, we just did a live show you know, not that long ago and one of our members couldn't perform because he had gotten COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just, could he have got up and played? Sure, because he was, well, it's not like he was, I'm sure he's had flu and cold worse than how he felt, but, yeah, you know, we're just sticking to the safe protocols of things right now, but I highly doubt everybody plays that game. Yeah. I you know? agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, some bands and some bands I don't think can afford to. You know, they can't afford to just be like, "Oh, we're gonna not play our next five shows," or like cancel an entire tour or something like that. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And if it's a singer, you just tell your singer, "Unfortunately, turn your back to the crowd so you don't spit on them." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you've been in country for a while now. How has your music taste changed since you've been in country? Well, (laughs) well, you know, I don't really know a lot about country. And over the course of, you know, half of, you know, the the fall of 2021 and all of 2022 being in country, I've I've heard a lot of music I've never heard before in my life. And, but what's sad to me is I don't feel like country is country anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm watching. Like, are you watching the new Showtime? Heard, have you heard some of the new country that's out now? Like, I don't. No, are you watching the new Tammy um, George and Tammy show on Showtime right now? Uh. Uh-uh. Oh my god, it. George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Yeah, Tammy Wynette. Isn't uh-huh. it, is it? It's a. Uh, isn't it? It's on Showtime. Up. It is. Yeah, it's um. Jessica Chastain. Yeah, Jessica Chastain. Chastain. Jessica Chastain. 
Yeah. And the guy who plays the villain in every yeah, movie. Yeah, I love him. I love him, and I always forget his name. But I, Michael Shannon, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like, I like that when he played, um, have you seen the movie The Night Before? I don't know, what was it? Oh, my gosh. He, he plays Mr. Green. He plays an angel who's a weed dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that even in itself like sounds completely different, like out of his wheelhouse. But that going back to that show, that is the kind of like heartbreaking country. Like stand the story behind like stand by your man and just you know the way only Hollywood can you know just tell that story. Oh my god! Like oh my heart. You know, I think about all the country uh, from from back in the day, and then I get into the country business, and I. Like one of the first bands I heard, like uh, I'm like, who who's like really big right now? This was in twenty fall of twenty one. I'm like, who's the really big country acts? And they're like, oh, this Dan and Shay. And I was like, okay, so I typed Dan and Shay into my phone. Yeah. And that <laughs> that couldn't be to me at least. That's the furthest thing from country I've ever heard in my life. Like it's just straight pop music. Yeah, that's not. I think I like have a feel for like what they sing, but like, have you ever heard Pistol Annie's? Who is it? Pistol Annie's. It's Miranda Lambert and like two yes. other girls. Yes. Love that. See, like, right. I don't know. I'm a woman. I feel like I can do more of whatever the hell I want whenever Absolutely. I want. I love this- Pistol Annie's and like Casey Musgraves can be like a little country with like Golden Hour. There, there's like there's some poppy stuff that like I can go run to or I like I kayak and like listen to that stuff and that's fun for me so I can get away with it more than like you know a man who's like looking for a good country song it's going to be harder for you than it is for me well just I've heard so much like like a lot now and I'm just like wow that, that doesn't sound country to me that doesn't sound country to me that doesn't sound country to me so yeah I'm like well maybe country's just not country anymore yeah, I don't know. I do actually. I really, I have like the biggest crush ever. Um, I love Lee Bryce. Lee Bryce is like, oh my God, my biggest crush in country, I would say. I, I listen. Oh, he's so good. I listened to um, six months straight, like all day, every day. And then he played Fort Worth and it was at Billy Bob's and there were tables and everyone was sitting down. And I stood up because, like, I couldn't sit down because it was too weird to me. So he just, like, sang the entire set to me. So that's, like, the story that will, like, continue me on into my 90s. And, like, right. that was good for me. And that was great. Right. So, so I think there, I don't know, as a woman, I think there's, like, some cute fun things about me. Well, I guess I'm just old school. I like, like, original Hank Williams and Charlie Daniels Band and, yeah. you know, obviously, Willie Nelson and... Yeah, I love all that stuff. Um, I guess I'm just attracted to men who like all the old stuff, but I still get to, I still get to enjoy some of the new stuff. But I guess on my metal podcast, I should continue to talk about that. I should uh, let that die down and continue on to the <laughs> next topic of conversation. So you're not so much into the new country, but I'm sure you love who you work for, right? <laughs> Zach Brown Band. Yeah. You've never seen them live. You better get out there, people, because I was blown away the first show I did with them. 
And I didn't know any of their music. Like, I didn't even know Chicken Fried. People are like, you know this song, right? I was like, nope. Yeah, I mean, makes like if if nobody's if you've never seen them live, man, it is yeah. such a great show. They are such a phenomenal band and put on such a man. It is two hours of just fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's made me a huge fan. It's awesome. You know, I I think some of the guys who have worked for them for a very long time are like, dude. <laughs> Are you sick or something? Because I'll be listening to it when we're not working. <laughs> They're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, I'm late to the game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, I and miss this year, you guys. I miss you guys. This year, you know, when we hit the road, somebody that I got turned on to through them is Marcus King. And man, I'm a huge fan now. That dude is unreal. Like, if you guys don't know who Marcus King is, get out there and hear that because. He's mind blowing. What a phenomenal guitar player and amazing singer. Is there a specific song you recommend? No, all of it. Oh, he's great. All of it. it. He's awesome. There you go. That's awesome. So, an incredible career in music and teching for like the biggest bands in the world. So, what's something kind of like amazing, wonderful, and awesome? A little bit of a takeaway for every band that you've worked with. Ooh. Besides, I mean, oh, that's a hard question. That should be easy. I mean, you started uh-huh. with 311. I started with 311, yeah. And I mean, that was, I mean, I feel like your first tour will always be one of your favorites because it was so new. You know, I knew nothing and we knew nothing and we were just out adventuring around the road together, being a bunch of 21 year olds because <laughs> we were all 21 at the time. And well, not all of us. Peanut was the young kid who were basically sneaking into everywhere. You know, he was only 17 at the time. So, but uh, I'll always cherish those days of just showing me the the world and what possibilities were out there. You know, and you know, um, one day in particular, Olympus kit that I worked for during their heyday, like some of the absolute. What do you mean most- today, or like now, or back then? Because they've got, like, another heyday going on. I know. Just being funny. Just being funny. I'm talking the height of their career. I'm talking selling out every video that we even thought about playing. And it was so exciting because you never knew what was going to happen. You know, Freddie D was, in my eyes, I mean, people are like, yeah, I hate that guy's voice. And whether you like his singing or not, that's besides the point. The guy will always be one of the... The greatest frontman I have ever experienced live. And I've seen a lot of frontmen. And I'm talking before I even was in the music business. I mean, I saw Queen live, you know, when I was eight years old. And Fred Durst was a genius on stage because he could just take a crowd in the palm of his hand and just control them at will. And technically, I feel like that's what a crowd wants. They want to be taken over by their artist and given that magical experience of the live show. So, you know, like the 99 Woodstock on the Monday, MTV, Limp Bizkit causes riot, causes riot. It's like, we weren't even there when the riot happened. We were all back in California in our homes. Now, that riot started on a Sunday, but they all blamed him because of, you see the videos of the people, uh, surf in the crowd on the plywood and 
then he's surfing the crowd on the plywood and that. But that's where I'm saying like he could just control a crowd so easily because of how great of a front man he was. He could just get everybody so excited that the next thing you knew, they were tearing plywood off the towers out there so that they could surf. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so I always cherish Limbiscuit days just because of the sheer craziness of it and just it's the time of my life. I had so much fun back then. Well, Limp Biscuit was like my youth. So I was in middle school, like during their heyday. And I never got the opportunity to like see them live till I was an adult. And it was just like the most like all encompassing, incredible feeling. And it was like my youth. And it was nothing. I love Limp Biscuit and I never stopped loving them. And I've seen them live like two, three times, like I think twice. And he's an incredible front man. He's very, very fun to talk to. Um, I've met him both times. I saw him. Yeah. And it was, I mean, that was like a dream thing to talk to him. But that's just one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't people think, really realize how talented that band was and how amazing live they were they're so tight i mean everybody in that band obviously west is a phenomenal guitar player but sam rivers is a monster bass player john otto is not your typical metal drummer because he grew up playing jazz music so he's got so much more swing but i went and saw limp biscuit you know in 21 and 21 when they had a fill-in drummer for john for a minute and I love the drummer who was playing with him. He's a monster drummer, but it did not feel the same at all. Mm-hmm. You know, because he just didn't have that swing that John Otto had. So, I don't know, like, Limp Bizkit, when it's the all-original members, that's, that's a force to be reckoned with live. Like, they're a phenomenal band live. Whether you like their music or not, you should see them live because we rock. Yeah. And I was, I love them. And I was talking to someone else last night and also Papa Roach live, I would say gives me the same kind of feeling. I love Papa Roach. I was talking to someone last night about like how incredible of a show they put on. And the person I was talking to, they were like, oh, Papa Roach. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, they're incredible. Um, but I would say like Papa Roach and Let This Get, like same feeling that I felt. Yeah. Just, jubilant happiness joy and oh my god i can't believe this is happening best show ever oh yeah i like it but we don't give a shit fuck you attitude that 90s late 90s attitude era yep yeah i mean and when i was in high school and there was uh well yeah that was like middle school ish like that fuck you attitude was those Limp Bizkit albums for me. And then in high school, we had like some rebellious albums from Papa Roach. And they weren't like their most popular albums. And I would know, like, I loved them though. And it was perfect for beginning. I knew every word. And I spent like years in Jacoby and I would just like sing the lyrics, like literally straight to each other in a stadium. And like no one else knew that shit. And I fucking knew that shit. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And that was, that was fun. So, and I was just talking about this. I'm like, 
I remember when I felt like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> I, I, I need to get to a festival immediately. Can you tell? <laughs> I like it's January. Like there's not a good show coming around for a while. Getting, I'm getting the misnet a little bit, if you can tell. I'm getting all amped up talking about it for sure. So that was Limp Biscuit, band after Limp Biscuit. That was, that was a fun, fun time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who was after Limp Biscuit? Are you thinking your timeline? You're like, wait, hold on, hold on, who was well, it? Well, I mean, obviously, like, I always worked for people in between, like, my main artists that I work for. Yeah. My start, you know, like, I've always tried to keep myself busy, but, like, I, I, I did a little stint with, like, American Idol right after Limp Bizkit, which led me to work with Clay Aiken and Kelly Clarkson. And then, you know, awesome. I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, Absolutely great. Okay, good. Both, okay. Both. Like, Clay Aiken, I mean, that dude was amazing to work for. And even though musically I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> this is not my <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah. It was, it was still a great tour, and he... He was an unbelievable person to work for, and he was funny, and we had a blast on tour. And then Kelly Clarkson, I could say the same for her. Absolute sweetheart. Stellar to work for. Like, I got called, you know, to start to get hired for Foo Fighters mm-hmm. when I was working for Kelly Clarkson. And I actually turned the gig down twice. First, I was just like, nah, not interested. because. I was loving being on her tour. Like she was so much fun. I was like, I'm going to stick it out with this girl. And then production manager at the time called me again. And I was just like, oh, you know, and then Taylor gets on the phone and I had known Taylor for years at this point, um, through a mutual friend. And he's like, dude, you gotta come on the road with us. And after talking with him for like 20 minutes, I was like, okay, all right. Well, let me talk to your production manager. And the production manager, and I said, well, when would you need me? The production manager like, now. And I'm like, well, I'm on tour. Like, how, what do you mean now? He goes, I'd have to fly you out. Like, obviously not tomorrow, but the day after. And I was like, okay, no. No go. Can't do that. I wouldn't do that to her. So I hung up. <laughs> Only to get called back by Taylor and be like, dude, what's up? And I was like, I can't do that. Like, your production manager wants me to leave now. And I just can't do that. I won't do that. And he's like, okay, let, well, let me call you back. Well, he doesn't call me back. Production manager calls me back like a day later and says, how's 12 days? I think it was 11 or 12 days. I said, that's doable. You know, like now I can, either I can find a replacement or they can find a replacement and I can teach this person the gig. And I'm not feeling like such a dick being like, hey, I'm just out. You know, so that, that happened. So I, I spent 11 more days on the road with Kelly and then I went straight on to Foo Fighters. What was the first show like when you were there? The first show of Foo Fighters? Yeah. So now well, I'm wondering, go- I'm like, how was it when you got there? Well, I, did, I went, well, we were in the studio at the time. So I went straight to 606 out in LA and I decided to start gearing, putting his gear together that he had figuring out what he wanted to use for tour. But my first actual show with them was, um, it was a TV show in France. So I was kind of like weird, like, you know, because the first thing we did was 
promo for the new album that was going to come out at the time. And so the first thing we did is we went, we flew straight to Europe and did a bunch of TV shows and like, and we did one show. It was like a BBC weekend or something. And it was a very weird show to do with them because it was like us and um, Black Eyed Peas. And like, I think they were probably the heaviest band playing. So it was, but it was fun. Yeah. You know, and, and then obviously, long story short, I spent 13 and a half years with them. Yeah. And we had the memorial for Taylor not too long ago, uh, maybe like four or five months back, something like that. Um, how have your feelings progressed, you know, during that time? And do you have a different way of looking at it, feeling at it, feeling about it um, for anyone well, like just you know, catching up from the first part, um, you know, you have a Taylor Hawkins tattoo on your face. Um, it's a really lovely tribute, you know, right there. So it was really important to you. How are you um, dealing with the grieving process of all that? I'm actually uh, in a good place right now. You know, it's weird. Like when he passed away, I didn't, I was in denial. It didn't, this didn't seem real. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people felt that way. I was like, this can't be. You know, this isn't happening, you know, and then the sad thing is, is I had a friend pass away literally a month later, somebody who was my roommate at one point for a brief period and just a very good friend of mine for shit, 30 years almost. So to have Taylor, who I'd been friends with for 25 years, you know, and then my friend Robert, who I've been friends with for 30 years, both passed away in a in a month's time frame, I went down a very dark hole <laughs> um, and grieved really hard. And I just, it was for me, like, why is this happening? You know, because between the two of them, they made, um, when Robert passed away, that was my friend, my fifth friend in a two year time period, not even two years, eight months. Wow to pass away so it, it, was, it was pretty rough like and and it's hard when one of them you know like taylor is like is like taylor and no matter where you go you cannot not see it you know yeah. anytime i picked up the phone like it's on instagram it's on the news it's like i went to the doctor around the same time of when that was happening and when we were first doing our podcast episode and like all the ladies at the front desk were talking about it. Like I wasn't, I didn't really like say anything about like, oh yeah, I'm doing podcasts. I was just like walked into a doctor's office and the ladies at the front desk were talking about it. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, and I had never experienced losing somebody that's that's world famous. You know what I mean? And it, I truly feel like it makes it a lot harder because you just can't escape it yeah and everybody you like everybody anybody who's ever met you in their life it's the first thing they want to talk about mm-hmm. oh i'm so sorry to hear like it's like uh <laughs> you're like the best thing we can do is not talk about it so could you not talk about it please yeah like, but um yeah then i guess some people will be like well you have a tattoo on your face i'm like yeah but that's for personal reasons you know yeah it's not really. I didn't tattoo it on my face because I want to talk about it. 
You know, like that's what I would tell people. Like, why did you tattoo it on your face? I'm like, because there's a whole meaning of the reason and the placement of where I put this. Like, but that's yeah. for me. You know, yeah. my heart's in a good place right now. So um, there's one other band that you know we can't not talk about, Slipknot. Um, I remember talking to you one time when you were in their warehouse, their touring warehouse, and it was just. It was a place that could carry an echo for sure. There was a lot of gear in there, lots of stuff. Um, what can you say about your time with Slipknot? And can you tell us anything fun about production for that? Because that band is all about production and that's so much what we know them for. I, mean, I always, I loved my time with Slipknot. You know, like they're an incredible metal band. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, I really, really like several members in that band. You know, not that I don't like any member in that band, but there's a few particular members I really enjoyed my time with. And uh, just getting to witness the energy that they put out, you know, live is pretty freaking cool. And um, especially after all these years, because as you know, most of them are not spring chickens. They're all around my age. So it's cool to see it still. And uh, I love the production, you know aspect of their show it's evolved you know like them evolving video production into their whole feel i thought was uh, a cool way to move forward in their live shows and um bob strickle their front of house sound man from 2019 on um is phenomenal like what a what a great audio mixer and he makes them sound so good live I had a lot of fun with that crew. Like, <laughs> that's a wacky bunch. Yeah, like, people are probably, if they could see behind the set, they probably would just die laughing because we are just idiots back there. Well, yeah, with the jumpsuits and the masks and everything. Yeah, I think we would all uh, all imagine that for sure. So just kind of talking about really cool shows, I wanted to ask you, you know, last few questions. Are there any shows that you've seen that, are just your favorite of all time. If you worked it or if you saw it, just ones that were unforgettable for you. Hard though, it's so hard. I've seen, mm-hmm. I've seen so many good shows in my life. I'm so blessed by that. I'm so thankful for all the shows I've gotten to see. Um, uh, before I ever became a roadie, I'd probably say my favorite show I ever saw was Alice Cooper. Um, Obvious like reasons. Uh-huh. And, I, and, and part of me is like, were you just young? And I'm like, no, because at the time that this concert took place, his production was leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. Yeah. Like they did a thing where like he's escaping a mental hospital and he would, they'd be showing it on a, on a huge movie screen behind the band and everything. And then when he was escaping and the moment he's con- can't go any further in the screen he comes running out of the screen i mean perfectly timed all the people chasing him all come out of the screen and they're running around the stage ships getting knocked over there then all of a sudden he runs back to the screen perfectly timed and he's back on the screen again and i actually got to speak with him about it and i told him hey i saw you on the million dollar motion picture show tour and he's like i go yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he goes that's still my favorite tour i think i've ever done 
he's like, we had to rehearse that show for over three months to get all that timing down. Yeah. You know, because technology back then was crap, you know. So for them to pull that off every night live was really incredible. Wow. I mean, um, even right. that today, that's like, yeah. seems like unfathomable to achieve. It would, even even to today, today, it would take a yeah. lot of practice to time that, something like that. Yeah. You know? And then um, I can't remember what birthday it was with his, Dave, 40, I don't know, one of Dave Grohl's birthdays in his 40s. We played the forum. And um, it wasn't like a Foo Fighters show, though. It was just um, special guest after special guest after special guest. And they played in the round with very minimal production. Mm-hmm. The stage just rotated in a circle while they were playing. It never stopped rotating. So it go one way, go another way, go another way. But it always kept moving so people could always see every angle. Um, and I was the only person who got to be on the stage other than a band, other than a musician because I had to be up there for all of Taylor's mic moves. So I was sitting in a lawn chair next to the drum kit, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was mildly embarrassing being like, hi, I'm the lawn chair guy, everybody, to the entire yeah. forum. But yeah. it was neat to the fact that I felt like I had a very, uh, I had the front row seat, you know, <laughs> with with like, Paul Stanley from Kiss playing, you know, David Lee Roth singing, you know, Slash and Zach Wild and Tenacious D and, I mean, Joan Jett, Lemmy. I mean, it was a great show. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to look around at your surroundings and, you know, look at, like, who you're working for and then look at yourself and be like, Done pretty good for myself. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's a nice. really that's a really cool show. That's a great story. I love that story. That's awesome. Well, that, that was a cool one, you know. And and that's like great. I did Live Earth at Wembley Stadium back when I did the show, you know. And Spinal Tap played, and Genesis played, and every huge band you could think of played that day. That was a really neat show to be a part of. You know, now even looking back at that 99 Woodstock, you know, little did I know, I was just like, oh, it's just Limp Biscuit doing another festival show, even though it was called Woodstock. But yeah, it will forever go down in history now. So, so. you were working for Limp Biscuit during the famous Woodstock show yeah. on record. They didn't do anything. They were back home when the riot started. They could just get a crowd going. Not their fault. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Well, I just wanted to wrap it up there. Touring friends are my favorite friends. The show doesn't happen without the crew. Thank you. Yeti or Chad, what do I call you? I never can pick. I think about it both ways. Every time I reach out to you, I'm like, do I call you Chad? Do I call you Yeti? I don't. Oh, no, I don't remember. Um, well, but thank you for everything you do. Thank like, you. My heart is with you. And what were you saying? You were about to be like, well, my friends call me this. My friends call me this. Where do you, th- what do you think I should call you? Um, oh, I'd say Yeti to most people. Okay. Yeah. Because, there you go. We'll uh, go with Yeti. We'll go with Yeti. Yeah. yeah Yeti's there you the go. Name. 
Okay, okay. I'll call you Yeti. You can call me Scandalous. So, ha ha ha. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, anything else you want to share, talk about, mention? No. Okay. Just, Just rocking on. And love a hug a This podcast is produced by me, edited by Taylor Anderson. If you want to support the show, share it with a friend or rate and review on iTunes. It helps so much with the growth of the show. really does. You can follow me on Instagram at scandalousofficial. And if you're interested in being a podcast sponsor or have any feedback for the show, you can email me directly at press at scandalousofficial.com. Thank you.